I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Forma podcast from the Searcy Institute Podcast Network, a podcast about the intersection of classical thoughts and contemporary culture and the audio companion to Forma Journal. I'm Heidi White, Managing Editor of Forma Journal, and an avid enthusiast of interesting people doing wonderful things. And in this episode, I will be talking with Lancia Smith, author, photographer, teacher, and business owner, and also the founder and executive director of the online magazine Cultivating, which is dedicated to encouraging all believers, especially those engaged in creative endeavors. Lancia is also the founder and director of Cultivating's discipling initiative, The Cultivating Project. Lancia is a board member and patron of the Anselm Society and also a longtime friend and representative of the C.S. Lewis Foundation. And while her background is in English literature, publishing, and graphic design, she is also president and CEO of a thriving environmental consulting and engineering firm based in Northern Colorado, which she co-founded and runs with her husband, Peter. Montia and Peter are parents to six children, and they are grandparents to a beloved flock of grandchildren. Montia, that is an impressive bio, and wait until our readers get to know your heart, which is just so, so precious. So thank you. Thank you so kindly for joining us today on the Forma podcast. No, this is such a joy and such an honor. Thank you, Heidi. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So, Lancia, let's dive in. We, <laughs> Lancia and I know each other and uh, work together at the Anselm Society. We're both board members there. So, uh, we are friends and partners in these endeavors of um, thinking and finding our way to God uh, through these creative endeavors that we do together. And uh, so we're just talking about that. So Lancia, let's just dive in because I think that this is going to be a very rich conversation. Tell us, first of all, about cultivating. Tell us what makes it unique. And also tell us a little bit about the roots of cultivating in your own life. Um, Cultivating, um, you know, as you mentioned um, in my bio, is an online magazine for the express purpose of encouraging and inspiring believers Um, but specifically in one direction. Um, I'm keenly concerned with how we make habitual choices. Mm. And um, scripture is really clear in Philippians 4, 8, and 9 about the importance of what it means to dwell on what is good, what's worthy of honor, whatever is excellent, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, Scripture says dwell on these things. It means to to take focus and keep your mind focused on those. And immediately after it says dwell on these things, it says what you have seen in me, model yourselves after. And what I see in our particular times are 
enormously talented people in this generation who do not have the same kind of access to models of what it means to live successful whole lives as a creative person. Hmm. And about 14 years ago, I was so struck by the constant headlines of talented people who were train wrecking. You see it in the headlines still today. Artists who end up drug addicted or bankrupt or divorced or their family leave them. They're exploited by, you know, managers. They end up killing themselves. I mean, we see that all too often. Mm. And it's not because artists, you know, and artisans and writers are fundamentally weaker, you know, than the average person in society. Why do they make the news? And why Mm. is it always that they're making the news for that? Mm. You, You don't see people writing news reports about happily married artists. Huh. That's true. You just don't in general. And there's a rare handful of celebrities, you know, who do make the news about good marriages, but they're few and they're far between. And then I look at what has happened in our own society, you know, as a division between artists and the church, something, you know, a subject that you and I spend a lot of time shepherding the issues related to that as we work with the Anselm Society. But there was a time in um, a Christian culture, maybe where everybody wasn't Christian, but they were living openly within the context of a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And there were arts guilds. There were places to apprentice. There were relationships for young, talented people and craft, you know, craftsmen to apprentice with masters. In our society, we don't have that anymore. Hmm. We are, this is by far my most burning concern that we have gifted people born to be message bearers who don't have access to clear models to model themselves after. And cultivating was created as a place to rest your eyes online on lavish beauty. I think cultivating is the most beautiful website I know personally. Mm-hmm. I don't mind saying that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it's also a kind of a beauty that is inviting and sheltering. And I hope a reminder of a beauty that is around us all the time. I am also hoping, however, people find a way into read pieces written by our team, and particularly the interviews, because it's a way of looking at people who are modeling a whole life Mm. in their whole, in their pursuit of creative excellence, their whole in the pursuit of their character growth, that would be called spiritual maturity, and their whole in pursuing a committed relationships. I am not saying that the only whole people there would be people who are, you know, who've never been divorced or they've never been, Mm -hmm. or I'm not saying that, but there is something about people who choose to be in committed um, community. 
Sure. So we look at those as being the three C's, you know, the core of what it takes to make a whole creative um, who's living their life rooted in Christ in a, in a successful way. So that was where, that was the orientation and the original hope, you know, for cultivating. I love that. So why, why a magazine, Lancia? There's publications available out there. What gap or need does cultivating meet in this particular cultural moment? We kind of talked before about the vision. This question addresses the vocation of cultivating. What is the vocation of cultivating? My real vocation for cultivating is ultimately about growing spiritually mature Christian creatives. Mm. And it is also about helping to teach a way of life that is in rhythm with the seasons. And that part is deeply important to me because it's one of those fundamental um, framing devices that the Lord has given us in order to become oriented to the flow of life. Mm. And it has been in place from our beginning and the seasons are very very necessary to understand ebb and flow and how one condition leads to another condition and then recycles it's a way you know that the earth practices for lack of a better term maybe a rule of life Mm. and what i see in modern society are people who are so far removed from being aware of the seasons, particularly in Western culture, that they no longer know what they mean other than a change of weather. We adopted the magazine model largely because we could could do that in rhythm with seasons and focus on those because they're universal. It's a universal experience regardless of whether somebody's a believer or whether they are, you know, deeply rooted in Christ or whether they're questioning where they are in that spectrum. But part of it, too, is really practical. I work a day job, and I can't do a weekly blog to save my life. (laughs) So, I mean, I've tried, and everybody talks about how important it is when you're um, developing community and building any kind of a platform how important it is to build trust with your readers. And um, this is an area that I just struggle. I have a big, complicated life, and a weekly blog was never feasible, but I could do things very intensively in chunks. Hmm. And so just from the standpoint, when I was asking myself questions, before we turned into a magazine, the questions were, what, what kind of rhythms really work with what I can provide. Mm. And so this was a really very practical approach. But it's interesting how much it's also really resonated with me because Mm. week to week, things can really vacillate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, could be family issues, could be staff issues that I've got with the company that Peter and I run. It could be ministry issues, you know, that we're involved in. It could be that you know, we're traveling, I'm teaching, you know, somewhere, and it's just not possible for me to do something every week, unless it's Instagram. Right. Um, The magazine part, though, allows a great accumulation for like setting a table for a feast. 
Mm. And that is something I am very familiar with. Mm. I have a big family. We have done house church for, you know, many years. I have fed lots of people at big settings. And that idea of setting a big table is very, um, it's very comfortable for me. It's Mm. something I know and understand. So I think sometimes when we start any work, of any kind, it's really important to look at what the Lord has already built into us, hmm. because He's He's built in experiences to already frame what He's calling us to do, hmm. um, and and that was that was a framework for me that that I was ready for. Right, I love that, Lantia. One thing that you alluded to a couple of times, you talked about arts guilds being part of the legacy of the past. You talked about living in the rhythms of the seasons, uh, you're, you're really talking about cultivating being a recovery or a, a reclaiming of lost things. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I would honestly say that the most important gift of cultivating is to help our readers remember hmm. the beauty from which they come. Hmm. Remembering is really important. Scripture talks about this so much. It talks about making memorial. Everything to me about cultivating is about making memorial. Mm. It's about making a statement in the midst of a decaying world that there is beauty that never does decay. Mm. And it is our heritage. It's the beauty from which we were created And for those of us who are in Christ, it's the beauty to which we will go home to. So that concept of legacy and helping to introduce people to the idea of that is really important because our modern society is really based on, I mean, from the Enlightenment. Some people would argue even before the Enlightenment um, toward deconstruction. That is not life-giving. Um, it, uh, I hated reading about it when I was in school. <laughs> and I still don't like it because um, I don't think it really serves to build mm-hmm. people up. Agreed. Agreed. Falsely named. It wasn't very enlightening in many ways. It brought a lot of darkness yeah, along it was, with some, some yeah. goodness, but you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So one thing I know and just love and adore about you is your very deep love for beauty. You've, you've used that word several times already. And Cultivating is, I will affirm, a beautiful publication. The images, the content, the writing, they're all beautiful and intentionally beautiful. It's curated beauty uh, from you and your team. So, Lancia, I have to ask then, why? Why such lush and extravagant beauty? I think we die without it. I know I do. I fundamentally believe that beauty is the fountain out of which we drink that renews our soul. I believe that that is universal, and I believe that it is inherent in human beings everywhere, regardless of the era in which they were born, regardless of the conditions of their birth or gender, you know, regardless of culture. However beauty expresses herself in any time, in any culture, is basically the reminder of of the hallmark of heaven. Mm. 
If the pillars of heaven are based on truth and justice, it's all draped in the light of beauty. Hmm. And that cannot be taken away from people. People die without that. We lose our, we lose what makes us human. Hmm. Um, more quickly, I think, than anything, because somehow beauty is deeply tied to love. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Talk about that. I know that that's a bit of a mystery, so we're not necessarily trying to get to the bottom of it, but uh, in what way is beauty tied to love? It's such a kind of a bottomless it is. subject in that respect. But I think we don't understand love when it comes dressed as truth. Hmm. Even if there is love that motivates the presence of truth, because I believe that it does, the first language that we meet with our eyes is always going to be beauty. It's the, you know, our mother's face when we're first born. It's seeing light for the first time. You know, it's how we learn to interpret what is good, you know, good as in capital G. Hmm. Um, you know, and in some philosophical sense, I think it is also fair to say that when we talk about the good, the true, and the beautiful, we are, in fact, not only talking about the inherent nature of the triune God, which is always what I mean by it when I use those that term but i also believe that the three elements of that are in fact the representation of love because love is truth it is goodness and it is beauty but the face that we meet of it first and maybe that we learn to form our own faces around is the face of love as beauty itself hmm. and that i believe is how our faces are formed it's how our identities are formed. We learn to grow in a climate of goodness, and we learn to develop spiritual maturity, you know, in a culture of truth that values truth. But what draws us to that always is going to be beauty itself. Hmm. Hmm. So you, Lance, you don't just believe this about the connection between beauty and love, specifically charity, caritas, agape. You don't just believe it. You actually live this out at cultivating. One of the very special elements of cultivating is its emphasis on community. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the role of community in cultivating and specifically how community shapes cultivating's vocation. I would say that community is really fundamentally the the purpose and the call of cultivating because the magazine itself cultivating as a magazine is a house. If you would use that as a metaphor, you know, it's a place that we meet and take shelter in and the table at which we sit. But the family that lives in that house is the cultivating project. And that is a nurtured community of writers, 
and artists and craftsmen and tech folk and intercessors. Mm-hmm. So we live very much in a sense of rhythm, not only with the seasons, you know, that we are mindful of because we write in that context, but we're very aware of each other. And what I have tried to do is to build a community that not only would be safe, I think there's lots of fabulous safe communities. Rabbit Room, for instance, I think is astonishing. Anselm Society, to me, is breathtaking in terms of community. Um, But when I look at what the needs are in community, especially of creatives, we need to have context where it's safe to grow spiritually, safe to be vulnerable, where there are there's a framework of what it means to grow, what kind of expectations there are for that. A lot of it has to do with nurturing a community where we're allowed to live over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And when somebody becomes part of the Cultivating Project, they're invited. I don't have people knocking on the door and then, you know, they're sending in unsolicited manuscripts. Um, in order to publish with Cultivating, you have to be part of the Cultivating Project. And this year, I will probably open up a new window to that and include guest writers. Hmm. Because for some people, they're really not in a place in their life where they can become a part of a team. But they're valued members of a larger outreach. And I would love to have their voices be part of it. But the long and short of it is that the vocation part of cultivating is about growing a crop. Um, Really, I'm looking for growing a grove of oaks of righteousness Mm. to, to put it in the, in a biblical picture that way. I want to be able to see a deeply loving community of people who know each other well, who write, who paint, who draw, who photograph, who do tech support in terms of managing websites and do graphic design and who pray over each other and people who cook. It's all of us. We're all like this. But who know that our our growth goal isn't just to be better at our craft. It's actually to deepen our character. Mm-hmm. And that is the actual vocation of cultivating. If we learn to do that in context of the cultivating project it means that we can teach it it means we can disciple others um, all things that are alive are created to be generative to reproduce so to me the goal of community in this is to be able to reproduce um, which is the same thing as going back to that original conversation about art skills Mm -hmm. and why those are so important is because that's not only how we heal, it's how we grow up to be an adult and reproduce our skills and our value systems and our worldview in another generation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What you're talking about is, is really lovely. It's, it's, the healing power of goodness, truth, and beauty lived out uh, in in a shared life, 
Mm -hmm. right? as, we, as we pursue those things, as we are shaped and formed by, by those transcendentals, by those rivers uh, that are so cleansing and healing and generative and life-giving, uh, that happens within the context of a shared relationship. It's a, it's a journey forward together. Do you have any particular, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, do you have any stories to share about how cultivating has impacted you or somebody else? through that shared life? I would share two. One of them is um, about myself. When I started, you know, I was very, um, I'm a very shy person in general and pretty reserved. And I think people think I'm much more outgoing, you know, than I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one of the things that I have learned is about what it means to be human with other people and cultivating has been a surprise to me because I founded it, but I didn't actually realize (laughs) when I did Hmm. that I would be the one that was the most transformed by it. But people who are part of the cultivating project are inherently generous people. And I would say lavish in their generosity. Um, I am humbled every with every encounter on some level. You know, and I've been privileged, you know, to be able to see that growing over the years. Hmm. So I can see myself gradually taking off my armor of, you know, artifice, as it were, hmm. and learning to show a truer face and be vulnerable. And that's hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for some people, they're a little more at peace in their own skin with a group of people. And I'm, I'm not really that way. So learning to trust a group of people has been harder for me. Mm. And that has been one of the extraordinary gifts of working with this particular team. But lately, we've invited some new members to join. And one of them came in very new, very gifted, amazing writer, um, amazing person just in general. And within a few days, very vulnerably made the announcement that she is just diagnosed with cancer. And watching this particular team, we have a closed Facebook group, so it's a very interactive set of discussions that go on. I watch my team, my little sweet peeps, the ones that I invest my whole life into, it seems like, rallying around her. And our team, we have a team of men and women. Hmm. That's unique a little bit to cultivating that it's not focused on um, just women's lifestyle types of issues. So we've got brothers in the Lord, you know, offering prayer and support and comments. And one of them is absolutely funny. And he just does funny things in the group that lift people's spirits. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one will offer a prayer. And I'm watching people chime in and wrap themselves around this brand new team member. She's a brand new cultivator. Mm -hmm. She's been through one edition of cultivating wow. with us 
But one part that really affected me was that we publish recipes in every issue because men and women have to eat. And I, <laughs> right. And food should be beautiful and delicious. It really should. And so I'm always talking about that as one of the practices of how we cultivate good tree and beautiful. One of the practices is about taste. Mm. We do these recipes. This sweet new team member um, had medical treatment that day. And she had one of her friends, this just blew me away. One of her friends took the recipes from the winter edition and made her the meal. Hmm. And she took pictures of it and posted it. I just Hmm. think that the translation there was not only were, did, did the recipes reach somebody, it, it reached one of our own people, like our inside contributors. And some friend who's such a cultivator themselves, they made a meal out of that to feed their friend. There's so much beauty to me in that process because that is the picture of what it means to live a Christ-rooted life. Mm -hmm. It's not all about aesthetics. It's about embracing this lavish goodness of God the Father and not being ashamed to receive it in season. There Mm -hmm. are seasons of fasting. It's called winter. Right. We're in the middle of it, right? Right. You know, we're all feeling it and we, and we do, but that was one of those things where I'm going, this is what it looks like to see this born out mm-hmm. and people right out of very personal experiences, but they're bringing the very best writing craft that they can. And they see their work published maybe mm-hmm. for the first time in, for some of these writers in context of a frame of beauty. Mm-hmm. which honors the nature of the work. And that was the entire point of creating this kind of website, was to give a frame of beauty to people who would perhaps never be acknowledged as writers worthy of being published. Well, if we don't give voice to honoring these young younger writers, and younger, I mean more out of experience rather than age, if we don't nurture those sprouts, then we don't have a voice speaking this in a generation. This is our chance to raise up a grove of oak trees hmm. who will speak into a decaying world. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I want to stand up and cheer. Hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> good. It's a good, good work. The good work. And in a few minutes, we are going to tell our listeners how they can find you because I, I know that there are people hovered over their speakers wanting to write down the website, wanting to hear how they can connect with you and be a part of this community and learn from it and, and be nourished by it. But before we get to that, I want to shift gears a little bit and to talk about cultivators in your life who has cultivated you who are the cultivators so to speak of wisdom and virtue that have influenced you who are some of your favorite authors artists musicians uh, who have nourished your soul Lantia with goodness truth and beauty and led you to where you are today 
Oh, that's a long, long list. But I will say, of course, it starts with C.S. Lewis. Another hip, hip, hooray, right? The Inklings. <laughs> the, the Inklings. But specifically, Lewis and Tolkien. Hmm. George MacDonald, who I knew before I'd ever heard of Lewis or Tolkien, I read MacDonald. And Madeline Lengel spoke really deeply to me as a, you know, a child reading. So they planted seeds of things in me that, you know, would grow up and take root in me as an adult. Um, but as an adult, I have to say, honestly, the C.S. Lewis Foundation has had a profound influence as an organization on me. Hmm. I wouldn't be doing cultivating if it were not for them. Uh, I wouldn't even have understood how to begin to articulate what is inside of me, because so much of what is in me are not words themselves. I think in images hmm. to begin with. That's my native language which isn't surprising as a photographer. Right. But, you know, that part, you know, look at that and think of all the people that I have met and become friends with through that single stream of someone's original idea, Stan Matson's original, you know, idea for creating the C.S. Lewis Foundation. But clearly people that inspire and nourish me now, Diana Glyer, Michael Ward, Malcolm Geit. I dearly love um, specific writers within cultivating. I love the work of Christy Purifoy. Mm, um, Roots and Sky. Absolutely. Uh, Lanier Vester mm-hmm. has been such an inspiration to me over the years. Chris Camille is such a champion of goodness, truth, and beauty in her life. Shelley Miller, who I just interviewed for Cultivating, um, she's the author of Rhythms of Rest and the founder of the Sabbath Society. All the good things that I have ever learned, probably almost, about rest, I learned mm-hmm. from Shelley. Mm-hmm. I have to say, too, Anne Voskamp probably saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when she wrote 1,000 Gifts, I was at I was really at the edge. Mm. And if I ever look back on a single book that really changed my life, I would say 1,000 Gifts did it. Mm. Mm. Um, It was, you know, her whole focus is about cultivating gratitude. Eucharisteo. Yes. You know, so, but that list, you know, I would say that, you know, honestly, it's the people within cultivating that I find inspire me, humble me in ways that they would, they'd be so embarrassed if they knew that. (laughs) That way, Amy Lee, oh my gosh. And most of us are going, I want to be Amy Lee when I grow up. You know, as writers, she is breathtaking and she always inspires me. She spoke at our Kindred Conference last year at a Circe event along with, with me and Karen Kern. And she just has this very, just a very soothing, wise presence. Like you said, she draws you in. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I feel like we're in such an extraordinary time when we get to have such a wealth of people around us all, you know, who can do that. Sarah Clarkson is somebody that still, I just find Sarah breathtaking. Like in the best possible way, she's astonishing to me, the way that she writes. Sally Clarkson, oh my gosh. Sally humbles me by looking at her fierce faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Ruth Chow Simons, brave, you know, I'm amazed by what she does. Andrew Peterson mm -hmm. of Rabbit Room. I mean, there are so many. We, we live in such a nurturing time of lavish beauty. We do. What a beautiful thing to hear. And I think I, I just want to affirm what you're saying right now, because when I asked that question, I expected it to go uh, where those that question often goes with with people like you and I who are as you said earlier off the air always in love with the old yes right? we are the people who love the old writers we are the champions for the old things we are the people saying we should be reading Shakespeare we should be engaged we should be listening to Bach in the car on the way in the car line to school pickup you know we are the champions for the old and rightly so like I will advance that cause but but it's so beautiful for you for that question to have gone to these contemporary writers the contemporary musicians mm -hmm. the contemporary artists the people who are doing that work in this generation who are faithfully cultivating and creating goodness truth and beauty and um and doing it uh in 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 many ways unseen and unknown oh, yes. in their generation. Absolutely. So how beautiful for you to say, my community now that I'm writing with, uh, the people who are publishing and painting and singing now and composing now, these people are nourishing my soul with goodness, truth, and beauty. I just, I, I love that that's where this conversation is going right now. There is something, Heidi, about Tolkien's very famous comment about leaf mold that is really important in all of this. Mm, remind and us. You and I are lovers of the old. There's no doubt about it. My favorite writers, you know, most of them wrote 100 to 400 years before I was born. And I grew up as a little girl, you know, spelling things British, I got in trouble all the time in spelling tests because I would spell labor, you know, with, with a U. U. And I still do, and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I spell favorite, and the phone keeps trying to make it, and I deliberately go back and change it to favorite with a U. There's some things I'm going to defend. But one of the things that Tolkien talked about, you know, was that people said, you know, what are your, what are your influences? And he said, I can't really tell you which authors influenced me. I mean, every idea comes into our thinking and it becomes leaf mold. Hmm. The leaves fall in a forest to the ground and the moisture and time cause those things, you know, to decay. And that material then becomes the nourishment out of which new things grow. 
And you cannot distinguish the leaves, the individual leaves, once they are in that composition of leaf mold, because it's becoming nourishment for other things. And one of the things that I think is so important about reading the old is to know where the ideas came from to deliver us from the arrogance of thinking that our new ideas are really new because they're not. We don't come up with really new ideas. We come up with ideas that have grown up out of old ideas and old ways of looking at things. But in general, forests, while they give shelter, they usually don't give nourishment. Mm. You don't see forests of fruit trees. Mm. And this is an important thing for us to look at because if we're going to nourish our own generation, if we're going to nourish the future generations, we have to look at it as gardens and as orchards and as groves, you know, and not necessarily simply forests. Mm. And so, What's so important out of that is to take what we learn, you know, that's good and true and beautiful and time-tested from those old, the old thinking, but find ways to help nurture new life. I'd much rather be remembered as a gardener Hmm. than as a forester. Hmm. One, because it's, you know, humbler, but it also tastes better. Sure, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that, that cultivating is a garden, you know, and that, that we teach what it means to be deliberate about what we cultivate in our own life, mm-hmm. because that's nourishment. You asked me earlier to say something about the origins of cultivating in my own life, and I'm a recovered addict and alcoholic. And one of the things that I learned in very early recovery that has been proven over and over and over and over, and it influences the way I look at everything in my existence, is that sobriety is the product of an accumulation of good choices. Hmm. And I teach cultivating because it is the same in the Christian life maturity comes as a result of repeated habitual good choices. Mm -hmm. A choice is that astonishing, terrible power that God gave to us to choose life or choose death. And when I started cultivating, it was about addressing the issue of the choices we make. Hmm that we make over and over and over because most of us don't really ruin our lives by a single decision. I mean, some of us do. I've ruined my life a couple of times by a single decision, but there were a lot of choices that led up to that single decision that I would have made differently if I had made a different set of habits beforehand. And so part of this is about what it means to, curate a life of good choices and good is small it's usually quiet 
I have seen goodness show up with very little fanfare most of the time, which is why I think most people can't actually define it. It's not too hard to define truth. And it's not difficult to identify beauty. Mm. Much harder to put your finger on goodness. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because it's so quiet. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's true. I really love that. Well, I feel like we've only been talking for the blink of an eye but we have come to what needs to be the end of the podcast. So before, before we leave this conversation, hopefully start many others, uh, where can our listeners find you, Lancia, and find Cultivating? Cultivating is found online at thecultivatingproject.com. So that one's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me... Lancia E. Smith on Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram under Lancia E. Smith or The Cultivating Project. Mm. Um, those are easy places to find me and to see things that are ongoing with cultivating. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Lancia, for joining us on the Forma podcast on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. What a joy and a life-giving interlude to speak with you about these things. Thank you for being here. Oh, such a privilege, Heidi. Thank you so much. And many blessings on this. Um, We pray for good fruit to come from it. And I look forward to all the ways that we might partner in the future. Me too. Me too. And listeners, don't forget to subscribe to Form a Journal. We are busily planning another issue after the release of our winter issue. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Form a Podcast. We'll catch you next time with more contemplations on the intersection of classical thought and contemporary culture. Mm-hmm.